in this week's podcast, Brother Kilman preaches on the topic, authority, alignment, and anointing. You'll turn in your Bibles. Hopefully you have a Bible. You brought a Bible tonight uh, to Luke chapter 3. Um, I am, uh, I am on a, I'm going to preach tonight. I, uh, be a little out of my normal venue, so I'm going to do my best to kind of share something from my heart. I was, uh, talking to Brother Lopez, uh, earlier, and I, I've had a sermon. I've been, it's kind of been burning in my heart, and, um, I preached it at IBC, and usually as a preacher, uh, sermons you preach and then they're just kind of out of your system and God puts something else in, your, else in your heart and spirit. But this one I've been kind of living with and I thought, well, Lord, this doesn't make a whole lot of sense why this is still kind of burning in me. And then uh, I was reminded that I had to preach here. So it began to make sense. So I'm going to, if you'll turn in your Bibles, I'm going to try to do my best uh, to preach, um, I share a burden from my heart. And uh, hopefully the Lord will bring understanding to bear on us. Could we ask the Lord's uh, help tonight and pray uh, that the Lord would help us? God, we come to you humbly. We come to you, Lord, asking you to minister of your spirit. Lord, we give you honor and glory for your goodness, Lord, your ability somehow through the preached word, God, to strike to our heart and to our conscience, Lord, the things that you would have us know by your spirit. I pray, Lord, that the word would go forward tonight, God, and let it have free course. Rebuke every hindrance of the enemy, every distraction that the devil would try to use to steal that good word, God, that seed that you would plant in the hearts of the hear- hearers tonight. Bless this poor boy, God, as I try to do my best, best Lord, to, to give what I feel is on my heart. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Luke chapter 3, verses 21 through 23. And it reads like this. Now, when all the people were baptized and it came to pass that Jesus also was being baptized and praying, the heavens was open and the Holy Ghost descending in a bodily shape like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven, which said, thou art my beloved son in thee. I am well pleased. And Jesus himself began to be about 30 years of age, being, as was supposed, the son of Joseph, which is the son of Eli. And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee. And there went out a fame of him uh, all the region uh, about. Uh, The parallel chapter in Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 13, reads this way. It came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized of John in Jordan. Straightway coming up out of heaven, we saw the heavens open and the spirit like a dove descending upon him. And there came a voice from heaven saying, thou art my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And immediately the spirit driveth him into the wilderness. And he was there in the wilderness 40 days, tempted of Satan and was with the wild beast and the angels ministered unto him. Tonight, I want to preach on um, this subject. Authority, alignment. And anointing authority, alignment and anointing. One more time. Could you reach out to heaven? 
and ask for the Lord's help. God, we love you. We ask you to move of your spirit, God. This is not just some dynamic, God. We need your unction tonight. Speak to us, Lord. Speak to us tonight, we pray, of your spirit, God. We'll be careful to thank you, give you all the praise and the glory. Could you clap your hands tonight and, and worship the Lord just for a moment? Lord, we love you, God. We come into this place to lift you up, God, to magnify you, to thank you for your goodness and your touch on our life. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. God bless you. You may be seated. You don't find too many times apostolics preaching out of this verse. Because um, mostly we're nervous about the Trinity. <laughs> but I, I was writing an article, and as I begin to dig in these particular passages of text, I, I was struck again by uh, what was going on in this particular passage. And I'm not going to spend a whole lot of apologetic time here dealing with the doctrine of the Trinity. But I do want to say that we know this is not about a Trinity. Right. And how do you know that, Brother Kilvin? There's this voice and there's this spirit descending. Well, uh, we know this because if we listen to this verse like a Jewish person would hear this verse, we don't hear the sign or the sound or the resonance of the doctrine of the Trinity because it didn't come to be developed till much later in church history. It wasn't fully even invented till 381 at the Council of Constantinople. So there's no way that they would ever hear a Trinity from this passage of text. But the question is, what is going on in this passage? Well, the Bible says that Jesus comes to be baptized and John has a huge issue. He says, look, I I don't need to baptize you. I I know who you are. You're the Lamb of God. You're the you're the Messiah. You're the you're the one that was prophesied in the Old Testament. And, And if anybody needs baptized, Jesus, I need baptized by you. And what what Jesus said is, John, I understand what you're saying, but but you need to baptize me because I need to fulfill all righteousness. You see, Jesus, the Bible says that he began uh, beginning to be about 30 years of age was stepping into his public ministry. You see, if you're going to be a high priest, you have to be 30 at the bare minimum. And Jesus is stepping up to fulfill his role. And in order to do that, Jesus had to align himself with the law of God. You see, in order for him to fulfill the role of suffering servant, in Psalm 2 we see a suffering servant who's going to come and ultimately be made king. What they would hear when they said, you are my beloved son, is this. It's the coronation psalm in the Old Testament. Jesus is saying, I've come to be king of kings and lord of lords. He said, I'm not content to let death, hell, and the devil have the last say. But I'm going to step into the fray. I'm going to come into the battle. When the Bible says, when he couldn't find anyone else worthy, God wouldn't lose the battle. He loved this too much. He said, I'm going to come myself. And God began to wage war, not as deity, but in the in the battlefront, on that, that little bit of ground that was born in Bethlehem. He steps into the battleground and begins to make war against the enemy. That's why the Bible says Jesus Christ was manifest in the flesh to destroy the works of the devil. He came to say, I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to buy you back. But in order to do that, I have to step into the role as the son. So he came to be a man. And in order to do that, the Bible says he came to be a humble self uh, uh, and, and not to exalt himself. Philippians 2, a servant. Look at what Paul says in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. He's quoting Psalms 45, verse 7. 
He says, but unto the son, he saith. He says he didn't say this to an angel. He didn't say this to some Old Testament prophet. He said unto the son, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. He says, thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore, God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. See, what Jesus came to do was to be the Messiah. Messiah means anointed one. Now, if we had some of our Trinitarian friends, we would ask them, what does it mean to be anointed? It means to be empowered by God. How can God empower God? It can't be about the Trinity because they would no longer be co-equal. But I'm going to tell you who needed power. It's the man, Jesus. You see, God had to come legally into a body. The Bible says the heaven of heavens are the Lord's, but the earth as he committed into the hands of the children of men. He said to Adam and Eve, I give you absolute dominion. I'm going to let humanity decide the destiny of the world. But when humanity messed it up, God said, I'm not going to let the world stay messed up. And if I have to rope myself in flesh... And walk humbly as a man, obedient to the law, in order for I, so I can bring you back into relationship with me. Then that's what I'm willing to do. And he came down and walked humbly. God walked humbly. God let them spit in his face. God let him pluck his beard. And he didn't open up his mouth. Why? Because he was staying in his role as suffering servant. Sure, he could have called 10,000 angels. He could have done all sorts of mighty acts. But he couldn't do that and fulfill his role. He stayed in alignment. You see, that's why Paul says, you've been anointed. Why? Because he's loved righteousness and hated iniquity. That's why the devil's tempting him. We read in the text, the Bible says that Jesus steps into his public ministry and immediately is driven out in the wilderness and tested by the devil. Because in order to be the man that God wants us to be, or the woman God wants us to be, it's not in a vacuum. It's right here on this earth. And the moment you start saying, I want to be in alignment with God, the enemy's going to come. But I'm going to tell you, the reason he's coming is because he wants to knock you out of alignment. Because he knows that God has plan and purpose for your life. So he tells Jesus, uh, you, you know, I'm going to take you up to the temple and, and throw you down. And, and the Bible says, Jesus, that, that unless you dash your foot against a stone, the angels will bear you up. Build your ministry on the spectacular. Jesus says, I, I can't do that because I have to make of myself no reputation. I can't build my ministry on self-glorification. That's why he says there's no man that's good. Don't glorify even me and my humanity. Point to God. Well, I can give you all the kingdoms, the devil says. And what was he tempting Jesus to do? You ready? I can give you rule. I can give you power. I know you want to be anointed by God, but I can give you power. And you can take the shortcut, Jesus, and you don't have to walk obedient. I can give you everything that you want. But see, Jesus couldn't accomplish. Look, he could not accomplish what he came to do if he would have stepped out of alignment with the will and purpose and intent of God. And that's what the enemy was trying to tempt him to do, to get out of alignment, to get out from underneath what God wanted him to do as a man. Jesus was anointed in his role. So as a man, he was empowered by the spirit. That's why Jesus prayed. You know, Hebrews says he learned obedience by the things that he suffered. Hebrews says he offered up prayers in the days of his flesh. 
See, Jesus had to walk humbly as a man. And just like Jesus, who walked in obedience with God in order to be empowered by the Spirit, see, not even Jesus himself in his flesh could do anything without being empowered by God. And if you want to be used of God, and if you want God's touch on your life, then I'm going to tell you what you need. You need the touch of another world. You don't need more brokenness. You don't need more philosophies in the world. You need the touch of of the anointing of God. And in order to have that, you've got to stay in alignment with God. We all need God's touch on our life. That's why Acts chapter 1 verse 8 is not just neat preaching. You shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. What power? What powerful witness? It's not like God's going to give you some just super awesome way to witness to people. It's about the testimony of new life. It's about having the touch of of new life on you by the power of the Holy Ghost. Being a witness that there's a new way to live in the world. That's why John chapter 1 says in him was life. And life was the light of men. And that's what we do when we get an alignment with God. We show forth the praises of him that called us out of darkness into this marvelous light. And when you show up and you walk humbly. When you show up and you live differently. They say there's something about that person. What is it? It's the touch of another world. It's the anointing of God. That's why Paul says in him we live. In him we move. In him we have our being because by new life, by the touch of God, we're his witness. And here's the problem sometimes. We know that we need the anointing of God on our life. We know we need the empowerment of his spirit. But sometimes we get confused because we see people who aren't aligned with God anymore. And forgive me, I'm going to I'm going to preach tough for a little bit. But I'm going to tell you that sometimes there are loved ones that they walk away from this message. And there are people that we've gone to school with that I've gone to school with. And some of you, there are people that you sit on the pew with and they walk away from the touch of God. And, and how can they preach pastors from the Lopez preach? under such anointing. They're they're touched by God. They're empowered by God. And how can we find musicians that play, Brother Sal, or someone that gets up and sings and just moves under the anointing of God? Now, I know you got giftings, but that touch of something else that goes beyond just stability. And maybe they don't have the best giftings, but there's an anointing that can come through singing and preaching that ministers to people. We watch people powerfully used by God. And then we find out that there's some horrible things in their life. And we say, how could this happen? How could we, how could this person so anointed by God be used by God in such a some way? It's because sometimes we misunderstand some things. Continued anointing isn't God's endorsement. Let me give you some, let me give you some examples. It can be just simply God's long suffering. Look at the life of Samson. He never understood his time in history. He never understood what was at risk. He was constantly just flirting around with things and touching things and being in places he had no business being. And all of these feats of strength, when you look at the life of Samson, anointed judge, called of God, every feat of strength except for his last was in compromise. For instance, when he kills a lion, where is he? He's going into the vineyard at Timnath. And why is a Nazarite who could never drink wine, not even have anything to do with the fruit from the vine, not not grapes, not raisins, not wine, nothing. What is he doing going into a vineyard? 
What is this anointed called man of God doing playing around in the, in the vineyard of Timnath? And then all of a sudden a young lion comes out and God moves on him anyway. When he catches 300 foxes and, and ties firebrands and turns them loose uh, in the Philistine uh, countryside and, and, and an incredible thing happens to the enemies of God. What is he there doing? He's there trying to marry a Philistine woman. And he's mad because he's playing games and all of a sudden the, the game's been turned on him. And there he is in, in Philistia. And his mom and dad won't even let him have the marriage in Israel. What is he doing there trying to marry a woman? And yet God still somehow anoints him. Slays a thousand Philistines with the with what? A jawbone of a, a donkey. Again, violating his vow as a Nazarite who should never touch a dead animal. And there he is in the gates. He's in Gaza. And the, and the Philistines find out that he's there. And they, they come in and they're going to surround the camp. And, and they're going to take him in the morning. And what does Samson do in the middle of the night? He gets up and lifts the gates, the fortress gates of that city and the pillars and carries them all off and drops them about 26 miles down the road. What was Samson doing in Gaza? He was seeing a prostitute. Look, the anointing of God on someone's life, the continued anointing is not always his endorsement. Sometimes it's God's long suffering. He's saying, if I just give you a little time, I want you to come back, Samson. I have a people that needs to be delivered. But Samson, you're going to learn some hard lessons. The first lesson you need to learn is God's continued anointing. Isn't always God's continued endorsement. Sometimes we can get it wrong. And because we get it wrong, Sometimes we miss this, and if we miss this, we can be stunned. We see these great men and women of faith that fall away, and we think, how in the world could someone so used and empowered by God fall into such deep sin? Reminds me of the story of of David reflecting over uh, the life of of Jonathan and Saul. He says in 2 Samuel chapter 1, The beauty of Israel is slain upon the high places. How art the mighty fallen? Tell it not in Gath. Publish it not in the streets of Ascalon. I don't want the enemies of God's people to hear this. Lest the daughters of the Philistines rejoice. Lest the daughters of the uncircumcised triumphs. You mountains of Geboa, let there be no dew, neither let there be rain upon you, nor fields of offering. For there the shield of the mighty is vilely cast away. The shield of Saul, as though he had not been anointed with oil. David is saying, how could Saul, so used of God and Jonathan and all of his strength and friendship, how are the mighty fallen? How could somebody that we love and respect that's preached to us and ministered to us, how can we understand when they begin to get rocky and somehow we find out now they're so far away from God? But, Lord, they were so anointed. I was so ministered to when they sang or when they preached or I had great friendship with this person. How did this happen? How did Saul all due respect to other translations, all you have to do is put, pull up First Samuel chapter 16 and all of Second Samuel and see the importance of not, not the anointed shield. It's not about a shield. It's about the anointed one that God would choose to deliver. It's a contrast between Saul and David. How can Saul, as though he had not been a king, how could Saul die the death of a common soldier who drops or flings his shield in fear and flees? How could he die in such a state as if he had never been anointed as God's king? 
And David says, he dies like a commoner. Why? How could this happen? You ready? Because Saul lost his alignment. He lost his alignment with God. And when he was no longer aligned with God, that anointing that flows from God ceased to be on the head of Saul. And because he shifted his alignment, he was no longer empowered. And he died just like every other common man. God is long-suffering. But eventually, even Saul lost his anointing. Samson shook himself and wist not that the spirit had departed. So here's what you need to understand tonight, what I'm trying to preach. The enemy is all about taking your alignment. He doesn't care if you sing. He doesn't care if you preach or teach with passion. He doesn't care whether or not you have great oratory skills. All he cares is whether or not I can keep you away from the anointing and the empowerment of God. That's why Jesus is being tempted. The Bible says he went full of the spirit. But after the temptation, the text we read says he returned in power. How did he return in power? You see, because in his temptation, he maintained his alignment. And as long as he maintained his alignment, he came back in the spirit with power. Let me let me listen to an example. I'm going to use a uh, I, I, this is the reason I didn't think I could preach this anywhere else. Brother Lopez. I'm not sure who buys this or not. and I don't want to offend people unnecessarily. Why does Paul talk about women all the time? Why are all these prescriptions against women in the New Testament? You know, women can't do this, can't do that. You know, where he says, you know, a woman should be silent in the church. All right, guys, if you want to date, don't ever quote that. <laughs> Trying to help you. Or if you do, you know, like I said, you got to you got to quote it in context. What is Paul addressing? Well, he's, he's dealing with qualifications in leadership. Because the churches that were at Corinth, Corinth was horribly corrupt. And Ephesus, the, the goddess worship there was so corrupting that guess what would happen? They, they would try to get these women converted in. And because they had been uh, a temple a priestess, which also included all sorts of vulgar things, they come in from a position of power and now they want to operate in the church. So Paul is having to deal some stuff with some stuff. So what's the issue? Is it just with women? Well, we know that can't be the case because in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 2 through 16, he says, when a woman gets up to pray or prophesy in the church, she has to be in certain alignment with her hair. So it's, his, problem, his problem is not with women ministry. Can I get an amen? All right. Uh, well, uh, uh, Romans chapter 16, verse 1. The Bible calls Phoebe the deacon. Uh, the Greek word diakonesis is the same word translated deacon. She's the deacon at the church at Sincrea. Second John was written to a lady pastor. The last verse, Paul or John, the apostle says, your fellow sister salutes you with her children. And that's another lady pastor that John uh, knows. Romans chapter 16 shows that of the pastoral leadership in all the churches at Rome, over 25 percent of them are women. Philip has four daughters that are evangelists. Right, and Lydia was pastor at the church in their home, and also Nymphia, Chloe, Iodia, Synteche, and and all ministers at Philippi, probably pastors there, or at least on the pastoral team. Priscilla, Priscilla, Paul says is a, a teacher and fellow worker in Christ. My fellow worker, 
As a matter of fact, Junia, the Bible calls her, she said, Paul said, she's outstanding among the apostles. Junia is an outstanding apostle. So if it's not against women, because Paul would be totally inconsistent, what is Paul's issue then with these prescriptions? Is it all women? Well, no, we, we, we know it can't be all women. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 34. He says, let your women keep silence in the church, for it is not permitted unto them to speak. But they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. Now, why is he bringing up the law? Because it's about obedience. And it's not the women that are obeying he has issues with. It's the women that are not obeying. He says, my problem is not with women in leadership. It's women that are not being obedient to God and the commands that God has laid out in Scripture in terms of separation. They don't have a right to learn. See, that's the point. It's about alignment. It's about authority. Paul says this. I know he says I'm dealing with this hair issue. And he's talking about, by the way, not people that are coming to understanding. He's talking about people that are trying to be leaders in the church that should know better. And he says, this is the problem. You want to stand up here and act like it's okay to operate under authority. You know what you need to minister to people. You need the touch of the eternal. You need the empowerment and anointing of God. And the only way to get that is stay under alignment. Because, look, anointing does not flow sideways. It will not come out and find you if you move out of your alignment with God. If you try to do something, now you listen to this preacher tonight. Look, I'm going to preach a little strong. We're going to get to someplace good. But if you're trying to operate in a realm of authority and you're not aligned with God, guess what? You have no power to really minister to people. He says she should learn in silence. What does that mean? It means she should learn how to walk with God before she ever tries to minister. She should learn what it means to be in alignment with me. And Paul said, by the way, if you have if you're being contentious, he said, you go ask your husband at home. He said, I'm trying to talk with you on this issue. If you don't want to align with what God says and all the teaching of the churches, he says, you just go home and take, take it up with your husband. I've done preached on this enough. I've done said this enough. But there are some people that saying, look, I don't care what God says. Nobody's going to tell me what to do or how to dress or how to act. Look, rebellion. It's not in alignment. No longer in alignment. How do you think God can use you if you're not in alignment? And here's the thing, ladies, I know. Let me preach to you just a minute, and I'm going to come to the guys next. But let me tell you, ladies, this is the number one reason the devil fights you so much with identifying with godliness. Because if he knows he can get your alignment messed up, you're no longer empowered. You're no longer anointed. You can't be used in the way that God wants you to be used. That's why he said you have power on your head because of the angels. Because in the the spirit world, they can see when you're in alignment with God. And they're not appraised. They're not impressed with pretenders and people who are trying to act like you're posturing power, but you don't have the position. He's not intimidated one bit, but he knows if there's a lady who will say, I'm going to live my life to glorify God. And whatever he wants, he says, i got to get her out of that alignment because that anointing's on her head. That anointing that breaks the yoke and destroys the better. That thing that can wreck my kingdom. And that's why he's fighting you so much. Don't ever be intimidated. Don't never, never let some half backslid preacher tell you it's okay to do something that the Bible's against. You say, you're trying to mess with my authority and my anointing with God. And you'll never move me from this place of power. He's talking about alignment. First Timothy chapter two, verse 11 and 12. He says the same thing. Let the woman, woman learn in silence with all subjection. 
But I suffer not a woman to teach, teach, nor usurp authority over a man, but to be in silence. See, again, it's about alignment. It's not Paul saying all of a sudden I'm going to reject all the women in ministry that I've commissioned. And I even sent Phoebe with my letter to the church at Rome. I'm going to pull back her and say, no, you can no longer represent me. That's not what Paul's saying. If you look at the text, he said, I would that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. See, he said, and, and likewise, uh, women in like manner, women adorn themselves with modest apparel, shamefacedness. What is he talking about here? He's talking about alignment. What does that look like? I'll tell you what it looks like. It looks like when uh, Paul says, you know, the, the lady that's up there and she's trying to preach and minister. She says she wants to be used of God and, and, and she's not got modest apparel, katastola, a loose flowing garment. What does that mean? It's issues about modesty. He said with shamefacedness, that means not overbearing and disrespectful. Nobody's going to tell me what to wear. Yeah, not even God. Not arrayed with jewelry. I'm not talking about functional stuff. I'm talking about drawing attention to yourself and with things that you don't need. Why? Because it's in the Bible. He says, as, as become women professing godliness. Because if you're a woman professing godliness, there's some things that you shouldn't do. Because if you're going to stay in alignment with the blessing and unction and provision of God, you have to be aligned with God. You know what the real issue is there? Brother Lopez is back in the verse. He says, I would that uh, men uh, pray everywhere. Maybe we got some unprayerful men lifting up holy hands. Maybe the problem is that he's having to deal with dress down here is because maybe the men at that particular church didn't have holy hands. And they were okay seeing women who were dressed immodestly because they kind of liked it because they didn't have holy hands. How do you think you can be used to God when you're filling your life with things that are the same broken stuff that's out there manipulating the world? God says the anointing I bring on your life is to destroy the yoke. It's to destroy the better. It's to take all of the things that the enemy is binding and abusing people with out of the world and set them free. But if you're not in alignment with me, how do you think I can anoint you and use you and endorse you if you have the same type of things that's out there in the bondage in the world? Paul's issue isn't with women. All due respect to reformed preachers and people. And, and by the way, there are good. I don't mean to be disrespectful. There are good men that I love in the in the UPC that are on a different side of this issue. They don't believe women can preach and pastor and whatever. That's okay. And I, I, I'm okay with that because they at least take away his commands in terms of uh, alignment. Maybe they're, they're mixed up on who can be used under anointing. And that's okay. But they, they're trying to love Paul. They don't know what to do with those two verses. But Paul, if you look at the prescription here, he's saying, my issue isn't with women. The issue is they're not aligned. And because they're not aligned, they have no authority. And because they're, they don't have, they're not aligned with that authority, they can't be empowered to do the task that they're attempting to do. They're trying to lead or, see, or sing or preach or teach, and they're not under authority. That's why Paul says it's they're trying to usurp authority, take it unlawfully, take a position that they're not qualified to have. And first Corinthians chapter 11, it's a hair issue. And first Timothy chapter two, it's the dress issue. It's kind of like Acts 19 verses 13 through 16. The sons of Sceva. Bible says then there are certain of the vagabond Jews. Exorcists took upon them to call over them which had evil spirits that the name of the Lord uh, by the name of the Lord Jesus saying we adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. They're trying to cast out devils. 
They don't know Jesus. They have no alignment with Jesus. They're just hearing somebody else preach Jesus. And there was seven sons of one Sceva Jew, a chief of the priests, which did so. Very religious person trying to attempt to operate in the spiritual world. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus, I know. And Paul, I know. But who are you? Sister Haney preached an incredible sermon saying, does hell know your name? Hell's not, hell's not concerned with your ministry. What he's concerned with is ministry anointed and used by God. And the man in whom the evil spirit leaped on them and overcame them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. Why? They had no power over that spirit because they weren't in alignment with God. What's Paul issue? Issue. Pretenders without power. Action without authority. Attempting and acting without anointing and alignment. That's what his issue is. So what are you talking about tonight, Brother Kilman? If you understand this principle, then you can understand the attacks of the enemy. You can understand what spiritual warfare is. Satan wants to destroy your anointing. Why? Isaiah 10, chapter 27, it shall come to pass on that day, Isaiah says, that his burden shall be taken away from off thy shoulder and his yoke from off thy neck, and the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. He says, I know you're going into captivity very shortly in Assyria, but I've seen something in the spirit, the prophet Isaiah said, that God's going to bring some anointed deliverer. See, that's what the enemy wants. He wants to destroy what will ultimately wreck his kingdom. I don't know about you, but I know who I am tonight. I'm apostolic on purpose. I like how you said it, Brother Lopez. I don't speak in tongues because I'm Pentecostal. I speak in tongues because it's in the Bible. I'm not, and and I'm going to go a step further. I'm not apostolic or holiness because uh, I'm I'm tied to the apostolic tradition or some historical event. I'm holiness. I'm separated unto God because I want to stay in alignment because it's biblical. We're called. We got a job to do. But in order to do the job that God has called us to, you have to be anointed. That means you have to have authority. So you need to determine, I refuse to let the enemy move me. What is he going to try to do? Well, it's easy. He'll get me to quit praying. He'll get me into immorality. He'll get me with unclean hands. And men with unclean hands equals women with issues in dress and issues about beauty. So what is the anointing? It's the empowerment of God. Stand with me tonight. Samson fails. Saul fails. And what's the point of these examples in Scripture? Here it is. Victory isn't an anointing. It's an alignment to authority. There's a shepherd boy who's out there just singing praises to God. Who is... Who says, I, I know that I know there's another king, but I'm just going to worship God and give myself to alignment. God said, I finally found someone, a man after my heart. He's interested in relationship and alignment with me. And unlike Saul, he's not going to let anything move him. Was was David perfect? Lord, no. But what he did do was maintain his alignment. 
and I wish I had time to talk about it tonight. The fact that the, Saul tried to get David so many times. Listen, you can be attacked by the enemy. You can be attacked by people. But as long as you guard your own heart, as long as you keep your own spirit right, maintain your alignment and ultimately God will vindicate you. And we find a shepherd boy with a king's anointing on his head. And he refuses to push himself in. He doesn't make of himself any reputation. He knows that God will ultimately, if God wants you to have the throne, he'll take me there. Even when he had the chance to kill Saul in the cave. And he cuts off a little corner of one of Paul's pieces of his clothes. He's smitten to the heart because I've, I've touched God's anointing. I know he's not living right, but I need to mind. And it's not even about Saul. It's about maintaining my proper relationship. It's not what other people do. It's not the temptation that comes. It's about saying, look, I need to maintain my anointing. To do that, I have to maintain, maintain my life. We've got a powerful example of this. He's about to go take church. He may already be there. I think it is. He is. He's already there. Mike Noble. Mike was in IBC. He's a Calvary guy. Uh, coming off the streets as a 12, uh, what, 16-year-old Catholic kid. You heard his testimony. I love it. 16-year-old confused Catholic kid who said one of the most powerful things that attracted him to this church was the clarity from the pulpit in Brother Moody. Alignment. I could, I, I'm so confused in what I believe and what the Bible teaches, and I've heard so much stuff. But now I've found a clear voice and clear preaching, and I know how to align myself. God takes that. 16-year-old kid and, and works on him and gets him into Bible college and he gets through Bible college and graduates and he has anointing. He has a call of God on his head. But he's saying, what are you doing? What are you doing at Calvary? What are you going to go do something for God? Maintaining my alignment, God said, stay here. And he won't tell the story, but I'll tell the story. He had been friends press him. You're not really doing something for God. You, what are you doing? You need to get out and finally work for the Lord. Be a pastor somewhere. What does God, what does Mike do? Like David, I'm not going to grab the throne. I'm going to stay in relationship to the Lord. And look, when the anointing moves, it'll move you into things. And if God opens doors, no man can shut it. Look, align yourself with God. And that'll move you into areas in timing that you can't make happen yourself. How does it work? I'll show you. Told one, he said, uh, I'm going to put my house up on the market for sale so I can be free to do more for God. <laughs> if I got the story right, next day, right? It was the next day the pastor called, I believe so. Put his home up for sale, and the next day gets a phone call, and it's a pastor down in Trafalgar and says, I want you to think about coming and taking the church. I'm retiring. I'm not going to endorse any other couple to the, the board. I'm going to suggest your name and no one else because I think it's from God. Mike goes down there with his wife. They meet the board, and they take him before the church, and he's voted in 100%. I think it's just a couple of days later, his house sells. For every bit of the money he was asking for. Why? Because it's about alignment. 
And if David just waits, God can get him on the throne. But here's the thing. You've got to maintain your alignment. That's why the enemy's fighting you so hard with temptation. That's why he's getting you to compromise. Because he knows that God has a destiny and a place for you to be. And he's trying to wreck it. He can't wreck it. Only you can how are the mighty fallen as if they've never been anointed because they didn't maintain their alignment? But now, see, there, there's the power, knowing what the enemy's trying to do. He's trying to get me out of, from underneath the plan and purpose and an intent of God. I'm done today. You know what God can do? Forgive me for telling your testimony, Brother Lopez. He can find a young man locked up in prison who has a hunger and wants an alignment with God. And he can open prison doors literally. God can do anything if you maintain your alignment with Him. Would you throw up your hands right now?